everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 109, The Everyday Linux User, recorded August 25th, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. That's right, this week we have the guest that I promised you last week. Sorry about that, but uh, uh, Gary Newell um, of the Everyday Linux User uh, website is going to be with us a little later on. Um, due to uh, time zone constraints, we pre-recorded his part of the show, and we will slip it in as the time uh, comes, but uh, he'll be with us. But in the meantime, let me introduce you to uh, two men who need no introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. Mr. Chris Neves, the command line godfather. Hey, Chris. Hello, everyone in internet land, and how are we doing today? And of course, we couldn't do a show without... The gooey goodness that is Seth, the gooey kid Anderson. Hey, Seth. Hello, Mark, and welcome to the fine, fine people inhabiting the ether waves. I just, I just have to point out that uh, you still have a hammer hanging on a nail behind you, and that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It, I don't. You know, honestly, I wonder if they even realize it's there. I haven't said anything. I just, I've just kind of left it. I mean, that's the kind of thing I, would, I could picture at like a modern art museum, hammer on nail, and and, right. and a bunch of, of, of hipsters would be standing around talking about the symbolism of it. <laughs> yes. I was going to ask, how long, do you take it down every night or do you put it back up? Or is I've it always it there. up? So. I, I've just, I, I did it that one time before the show. What's that been about? Maybe two months ago now. And it's just stayed there. Um, it, it, it has not worked. I don't know if it hasn't moved. I just know it seems to be in the same place every time. So. I could just picture the the owner of that office comes in Monday morning, takes the hammer down, lays it aside. Friday afternoon, gets up before he leaves, hangs it back up, uh, knowing that that you wanted it there. That's funny. Uh, probably not, but anyway. Uh, so Chris, yeah. you 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 went and invested in some art yourself, did you? I did. I did. I did. Um, for those that don't know, I do have a. I don't have a problem with body modification, so to speak. And uh, I ended up getting some new ink on my leg today, or yesterday. So today is day one after, and it's sore, but it looks so pretty. It's so so pretty. You can find. And uh, if you're following me over at Google Plus, I'll have pictures up up on it later on this evening. So. Yes, it's very nice and may, very pretty. May I make a, a plea from, from all the internet users to you? Wait until the swelling and redness and ugly nastiness goes away and then take a picture. People always want a picture right away. It's got that goo on it. It's red. It's puffy. And go, look at my new tattoo. It looks like an infection is what it looks like. <laughs> well, what, I've, what I planned on doing is taking a couple of pictures. The you know Today's day one of it being on so then and then i'll take another one after all the healing and all the retouching is done and that's healing's done so um but what it is is a it's a the all-seeing eye on the back of my calf so you if you can kind of put that in your head that's what it is but the artist did a really good job um of shading and everything so it's it's a black and gray it looks really nice and i i'm really happy with it and i can't wait to go get more it is my new addiction <laughs> it's an expensive it's a, the, one of the few addictions more expensive than smoking but still less expensive than heroin barely it, it depends on how often you go get it done um 
because like for me it's like a couple years in between each one it's not like i go get it done every five minutes or something i know i guess i can pull out four names from my memory of guys who are just are from from wrist to waist covered front to back with a tattoo shirt you know and and when you add up it's hundreds of hours and hundreds of thousands of dollars when you add up all the work that that went into each of those tattoos uh one of them in particular um i think all of his tattoos are in color um and 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 multiple color at that so it's like a tapestry of pain (laughs) but it's pain that he wanted and that's the difference um but yeah there's there's lots more to come it's just uh Money is an issue, so I, I don't yeah. get to get them done as often as I'd like. There are two reasons I've never gotten a tattoo. Reason number one, I'm a tightwad. I'm a nationally <laughs> known, internationally known tightwad. Reason number two, I've never found anything so cool I want to look at it for the rest of my life. So when well, when A and B equalize, I'll go get a tattoo someday. There you go. So we'll, we'll have to find you one, Mark. I'm sure you could have a great big mom on your arm there you go (laughs) yeah a heart with mom through it i I have a friend who has uh uh you know the the stereotypical thorns around the the arm but when it Uh got when it got up like on the back of the arm and under the side it got too much for him so it it's he stopped had him stop it there it doesn't go all the way around he's thinking was well nobody sees it anyway my arm's up against my so we call it his tiara of thorns Come on. If you're going to get it done, do it all the way, even if you have to go back in. And then I have a couple of friends who let uh, budding tattoo artists work on them for practice. Oh. And it looks like, you know, permanent stick figures. <laughs> it's, it's C. Dick and Jane version of tattoos, but, you know. That's funny. Everybody's got to practice on and, something. Yeah, my goal is to become so rich that I can pay for a guard in perpetuality to stand over my grave and make sure no one digs me up to tattoo me. So, <laughs> well, everyone's each to each their own, but uh, I definitely don't have a problem with uh, tattoos. So I just, I just keep. I was gonna say I just keep them. I make sure that they stay covering, you know, clothing, so I'm business still appropriate. I do at least keep that much concern when it comes to my appearance. I just had one of those surreal moments, like just this this second. Um, uh, you know, my Skype computer here that I uh, that I do uh, all the skyping on. You know, it's it's the same one that I've used, or the same accounts anyway, for all the years that I've been doing this, and I've had the honor of of interviewing some pretty amazing people. And I'm not going to say the name, but a very famous name just popped up on my Skype and said, "This person is now online." And it's like. Wow, I actually, I have that person in my Skype list, and they're still there. You know, they didn't delete me after the interview. It's still there. So it was, it was just kind of a cool moment. My brush with fame. There you That's go. pretty cool. That's always a good point. So I, uh, I am late to the geek game. I know. Uh, probably every other good geek has read this book uh, years ago, but just recently, just last week, I read Ender's Game. The uh, the mid '80s uh, book by Orson Scott Card, um, because the movie is coming out in I think November, and uh, my rule about movies is if I can read the book first, I I should. Like I, I had I owned the Lord of the Rings box set 
that a cousin of mine bought for me when I was like 12 years old. I never read it until the first movie came out. And then I was like, okay, well, I got to go read the books now because I'm going to go see the movie. So the Ender's Game movie is coming out. So I had to read the book. I, um, being the uh, auditory person that I am, I decided to go with audible.com. Uh, and I have to say it was a, an amazing experience. Uh, it was not just a guy reading a book. It was actors acting out the book. Uh, uh, they didn't go so far as to have background music and sound effects, thankfully. But it was a really good experience and a great game. So the, I mean, a great book. So the good news is, you know, I read Ender's Game. The bad news is I now have 14 more books in the Enderverse that I have to read because I enjoyed it so much. Yeah, that's how that works. So uh, I thought, you know, audible.com, the way it is, you, it's like 15 bucks a month. You get one book a month. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, I'll go look, I'll go look at uh, uh, Speaker for the Dead, which is the next one in the, in the Enderverse. I, I'll just buy that um, and read it before because, you know, it only took me a week to listen to the book and I've got three more weeks before the next credit drops. So I thought, well, I'll go check it out. It's 35 bucks for the book. So yeah, a ouch, that's a ripoff. B if you're going to do audible, uh, audio books, the monthly subscription is totally the way to go. Cause you're getting 50 to 60% off when you do. And this isn't an ad. This is just my new realization. Yeah, they, don't they have the plan where you can get two books a month? Yeah, I think it's $25 a month. Still, I mean, one yeah. book's worth of money for two bucks a month. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, I'm kind of in the same boat with you there, Mark. I just finished the last Honor Harrington book that I can get has a paperback. And uh, so that's like about 20 books I have read, about eight of them in the last m- month and a half. And oh they're so awesome and i so love them much so much but now i'm like i'm bummed because i either have to go buy hard pack at almost a regular price which that is a serious affront to my tight wadedness <laughs> um or i have to wait until march for the next one to be released in paperback so but you know it, they're so good and i so like them i might actually pay for one in paperback so what's the cost? Or, I mean, of, hardback. What's the cost of your average paper? Is it like ten bucks a book, something like that? Um, no, about eight dollars. Okay. Because uh, they're not like the they're like the mass market paperbacks, except for like the last one I bought. So you know, the the first Honor Harrington book was released in nineteen ninety three. They just released a twentieth anniversary hardback that I'm contemplating buying because I love the series so much. Um, but so yeah about eight bucks a piece and the bad part about that is now if i were to stack these books on the floor they come up to about my knee and um, (laughs) i might read them again but otherwise i've got this humongous stack of books that i won't i won't do anything with yeah and so the thing about that you can always sell them news yeah you can resell them or you can loan them to somebody i could say hey you know uh i'll send you 20 bucks for shipping ship them over to me you can do that uh, but with an ebook, or in my case, an audio book, you can't do that, and that that bothers me about this new digital world. Um, it takes away the ability to just do something simple like loan a book to somebody else, right? Yeah. And I'm not going to take the time to sit and read a book. My life is just too busy, uh, and my you know, it's not that I don't have the time. It's just I'm not going to make the time. Whereas you know, I've got two hours or more a day of a commute. So uh, audiobooks are a perfect uh, uh, solution to that, but audiobooks are darn expensive. Yeah. 
Well, they got to pay for those guys to do the reading. Right. So yeah, I it's totally worth it. I'm not saying it's not worth the money. It's just, uh, again, reason number one, tightwad. Yeah. Man, I, I love reading the two. paper. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I just, I don't get any kind of pleasure out of holding a book in that, you know, I, I, I hear you readers talk about that all the time. You know, the, the feel of the page, the smell of the book, the, the tactile sensation of, of flipping the page. I don't get, I don't get any joy from any of that. In fact, it, I hate it when I have to interrupt my own sentence in the middle of turning a page. We're yep. in the digital world. I can just scroll infinitely and that's not a problem. But it's that's where I, well, like I mean, e-books. see, I don't even. I've tried the ebook thing, and I just, I don't know. I just, I did not like it. But the reading over the listening, I like my imagination better um, than pretty much anything. I mean, Lord of the Rings movies were great, but my imagination was better. And um, you know, a lot of the movies I've seen where I've, I've read the book first. I've really, you know, with the exception of one, well, a couple of times where I hated the book and liked the movie, but for the most part, it, the movies are nice and they're great, but they don't, they just can't compete with, with what I dreamed up while I was watching them. And the few times I've listened to stuff, it's been good, but it, it hasn't, it's almost like my imagination doesn't get fully engaged because there's somebody else reading and putting their characterization into it. And so I, I lose something whenever i do a like a book on cd or something i get that um one I of, do too. there were a couple of times when i was listening to this book that they would switch readers um that you know there'd be a male reader and then suddenly switch to a, a female and that moment took me out for just a moment Whoa, wait wait there was a little adjustment period where i'm not focusing on the story so i get that that doesn't happen in your own head um and if right. if a character says something you hear the words in in a way, and then the the reader reads them in a way different. It it, it there's that moment of jarring. Of, Whoa, that's that's not how I would say. Or worse yet, when they mispronounce a word. Um, yeah. Uh, and the professional readers rarely do that, but there are words like you know potato. You can say a potato or potato. Both are totally acceptable. Uh, but if you hear if you're used to saying potato and you hear somebody say potato, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, wait a minute, something's not right here. Yeah. So, right. Anyway. So enough about that. Um, I just wanted to... Everydaybooks.com I just wanted to say... Now, now by the way, the, the noise you're hearing, once again, basement, shower above me. Sorry, it'll go away soon. Um, but uh, today, because we, we were, our guest is, is in the UK and uh, large time difference, we recorded an hour early. So I had to run in uh, from church. And today at, at church, we had a, a potluck. And I just want to say, if you've never been to a Southern Baptist potluck, you need to go. I, I, it doesn't matter if you're not Baptist. It doesn't matter if you're not Christian. You could be a Muslim, a Jew, a Satanist. They won't care. Those little women just want to feed you. You call up the nearest <laughs> Southern Baptist church, or Baptist in general, but Southern Baptists tend to be the best. Call them up, and there's Southern Baptists all over the world. You could be in New Guinea, and there's probably a Southern Baptist church there. Call them up and say, when is your next potluck? Pencil it in on your schedule and just show up. I promise you nobody will turn you away. That's just not how they work. Uh, and you will sit down to these little women who for some reason never grow above about three and a half feet tall who have who, who are serving up the dish that they have made 
80 bazillion times for every wedding, every funeral, every Sunday dinner, and they have perfected this dish. Now, it's going to be a simple dish like tuna casserole or something like that, but it's a dish that they have perfected over centuries, okay, decades of cooking. <laughs> and you have a whole long table, this 90-foot table of every platter on the table is that, except for a few where somebody ran and grabbed a bucket of chicken on the way in. But for the most part, you're going to get these handcrafted dish made by artisans of of that dish. So go. And so if I if I throw up in the middle of the podcast, that's why. It's because I ate about seven <laughs> meals worth of food because it was this awesome little old lady food. That 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 is the best. I will admit to that. Nothing. And beats that's the problem. Food. Yeah, that's the problem with my church. There's not a lot of old people because the church is only like ten years old. So the potluck is a bunch of people who don't really cook, throwing stuff together, or you know, buying a bunch of Walmart chicken or something like that. So, uh, and you know, you must have lucked out because it, at the Baptist churches I grew up in, you could. It wasn't so much potluck dinner as it was green bean casserole dinner. <laughs> It was, well, there, uh, is a, yeah, there is a significant amount of replication. There's about 70 different versions of tater tot casserole, uh, but they're right. all awesome. Uh, so anyway, that's just a, that's free for you. Those, those religion haters out there, uh, you can turn back onto the podcast now. <laughs> so uh, Chris, you're experimenting with a couple of new technologies this week. Tell us about it. Yeah. Um, well, the first one is I, I, I said it a couple weeks ago. Um, I'm actually still using Razer QT. Um, I'm really impressed with it so far. Uh, it's a super lightweight desktop environment. So for those that don't know, it's similar to LXDE. Um, and they actually will combine forces here soon, the Razer community and the LXDE community, so that it should just get even better. But it's super lightweight. Um, my little laptop that I test most of my distros on just purrs like a kitten with a thing on. So... I'm really impressed with it. So if you're looking for a lightweight distribution and you don't want to go with the GTK system, look at Razer. Um, most of the distributions have it already installed or part of their their um, software repositories. If they don't, like Ubuntu and their derivatives, it's just a PPA to install, and away you'll go. Um, that one is really – I'm really impressed with the Razer QT. Um, so kudos, guys. Keep it up. The other one I'm playing with, and it just started using it today, was the No Machine version 4 in their beta 2 stage. This software is phenomenal. If anybody needs uh, a remote desktop access and you don't want to pay big money for it, like TeamViewer type product, uh, take a look at No Machine 4. It installs on every version of Windows, Linux, or Mac, and it's like RDP but without the RDP issues. Um, it's like VNC without the VNC issues. So it's something to look at. I was extremely impressed for a beta product. This thing so far has been rock solid, and I've been able to do just about anything I needed to do through it. Isn't hmm. that the the NX client? Is that what that is? Yep. Yeah, I, yeah I, that's the, 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 the old version, the version 3.5, was Linux server only you know you can only install it on your your linux servers or your linux machines and use no machines nx client to get into them this one is both server and client can be on any machine so wow. like i i was working on my i was doing some bids 
the this week for my home business, but I was away from my my QuickBooks debt, my QuickBooks uh, uh, installation. So I installed No Machine on it, and just as a because I didn't want to spend the money on TeamViewer license again, uh, so I could access it with all, multiple machines. So I threw on No Machine. I'm like, well, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If it works, it works. I was able to do all my bids through my little laptop that's running Linux to my Windows machine that has my QuickBooks install on it, and it just worked. No problems, no issues, no nothing. Um, there was a little bit of resolution hiccuping between the two machines, but otherwise, I am highly impressed with No Machine. Um, super fast. Uh, there was a small lag when I was on a, a low connection for up and down for the on the client side, but when I had a good solid Wi-Fi, it worked great. So if now, you're looking for something, try it. Now, if I uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's uh, built on open source, but there's a commercial component that has some extra bells and whistles, uh, extra oh, yeah. security, oh, yeah. extra uh, extra enterprise sort of stuff. But there is a free community supported version um, that everybody I've heard uh, loves it. I experimented with it very early on and just couldn't get the knack for it. VNC was better uh, for my usage. Yeah. But uh, that was, gosh, probably six years ago. Yeah, this is a real, I mean, uh, I'll link it in the show notes. So if anybody wants them, they can take a look at it. These are the feature sets between the free version, the pro version, the enterprise class, etc. cetera. Um, they do, and they for the feature set that you can have for free, it blows my mind. Um, it's almost enough for me to drop my TeamViewer license. Almost. Wow. So, uh, yeah, if they had a way to do NAT transversal, I would dump no uh, TeamViewer to go to No Machine. Um, I just don't see that yet. Uh, it may come eventually once they figure out a way to do it. Uh, SSH encryption, so it's blow. It uses Blowfish encryption for everything. That's even with the free version, so it's encrypted point to point. Uh, yeah, it, it's impressive. Take a look at it. If you need a remote a remote control system, take a look. You might be surprised what you get. Cool. Uh, something for enterprise users and non-enterprise users. So it's a great tool. All right. So yeah. moving on to our listener feedback. We got a few this week. Uh, first one, Jeff asks about backups uh, in a rather roundabout way, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> Come on, Mark. For this show, really, is there any other way? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, no direct questions, please. They they must be at least 700 words. Uh, he says, the question, what backup program have you recommended for backing up a PC? Was it backup PC or fog? And how's it? how does the restore process work if put onto different hardware? Uh, the answer is both. We've recommended those and, uh, and a couple of others. And then we will uh, move on with the rest of his message the background i've been working on setting up a home theater pc using lubuntu and xbmc i'm doing a lot of different things to get this going partition setup xbmc install and tweaking installing a tuner card and getting it working with the pvr installing lirc to get more uh, remote working copying my media files onto it i want to back it up so i don't have to redo all of this work i haven't kept documentation on all the things i've done or had to install to get it all working just a side note man i'm with you you're just in the process of doing it, 
And then once you get it done, you look up, look back, and say, "Now, how the heck did I do that?" Um, I almost never <laughs> document as well as I should. Okay, continue right. on. If I use backup PC or whatever else you suggest to, to and create a backup of the computer, can I restore this backup onto a different box if this hardware dies? Does the backup software handle multiple partitions and multiple drives? I have four partitions across two physical drives. Drive one, uh, 93, uh, I'm not going to go through all of that. Um, any other tips you can give me on this since you've built and run home theater PCs before? Uh, so I will give my answer to that. Uh, backup PC is not the tool you want for this. It will do it, but what you're looking for is a, is a full image. And backup PC is yeah. not for that. It's, it's a backup system and not an archival system. Uh, so uh, Fog would definitely do that, but it's probably overkill. Fog has a server, server component and a client component, and it sounds like that's not really what you want to do. So I would go with either G4L, the letters G, the number for the, the letter L, which uh, used to be Ghost for Linux and now is just G4L, uh, or Clonezilla. Uh, either of those yep. tools will do the job. It'll handle all the partitioning that you're talking about. It'll spit uh, spit it all down into one file that you can restore uh, on a single bare metal restore later on. So those are the two yep. things that I would recommend. My recommendation would be Clonezilla. But what I would do is not worry about your drive two for your media format, your media drive. Um, that you could use, you know, backup PC or, or just a USB dump of those, depending on how, because that's going to be a huge image if you're imaging all, both drives. True, true. I would be more worried about imaging your OS drive, the one that has all your stuff in it, your, your, your root partition, your home partition, and Clonezilla will do that. And then because you're using Linux as the base for this media PC, uh, meet, uh, as far as your hardware goes, it should just dump it right back in no problems, pick it back up and run. Uh, you may have to redo stuff with your TV card or your, um, depending on if you're changing piece, your your TV cards or um, your PVRs, but most of it should just drop in and run. Yeah. So, yeah, and uh, G4L is going to be the same thing. It's uh, the same underlying technologies. It's basically a dd um uh or what's the windows version nfs something i can't remember what it is but anyway yeah. uh it's it's all it's all the same packages just uh, put together in different ways um i go for g4l first because it's the one i know better uh but clonezilla is great too uh, continuing his email he says thanks for this podcast and the perspective that uh, you bring both to linux and live. And he says, Mark, next time I'm in your neck of the woods, maybe we can meet for dinner. Aren't you in the Atlanta area now? Yes, I am. I live about 25 miles north of Atlanta in a suburb called Woodstock, and I will let you buy me dinner anytime you like. And then he ends his email <laughs> with Viva la Bacon. That's a great Amen. email. <laughs> uh, and then moving on, Jay offers a terrible movie clip as a thanks. I'm not, I'm not sure... I'm not sure how you thank somebody by punishing them, but uh, here we go. It says, hi, guys. I wanted to say thank you for your KVM discussion in episode 106 in, my response, uh, in response to my lengthy email. You've convinced me to go ahead with my KVM project. As I promised, I will purchase the system through Element OP's Amazon link as soon as, fin as, soon as I finish putting away enough funds to get the new system. 
to Mark, I just wanted to say sorry for the original email length. I work in customer support and have a bit of a reputation for, quote, explaining all the detail at once. Call in an attempt to prevent repeated support calls. In any case, thank you for working through it all. As a reward, I'll keep this one brief. Thanks again for all you guys do, and keep the show coming, Jay. And then he says, P.S., since Mark has never seen it, here's the best of, or worst of, Night of the Lepus. So it's uh, about eight (laughs) minutes on YouTube, and it's just cutscenes of horrible, 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 awesome moments from a movie called Night of the (laughs) Lepus. So here's the basic premise. Um, There are so many rabbits in Australia that they have to uh, result to chemical warfare to kill them all. That's actually true. That's the only true statement in the movie. Uh, the The side effect of the chemical warfare is the rabbits get really big, like six feet tall, and have a thirst for human flesh. Um, and apparently, they always go for the neck, but never actually get there. And there's blood, but no wounds. So there's all these pictures you see of this red uh, licorice sauce uh, on people, but there's never any wounds, no scars, nothing like that. Just some blood squirted on there. And it's got DeForest Kelly, Kelly bones from Star Trek in it, in, uh, in all his um, handlebar mustache and, and sideburns glory. Um, <laughs> you just, you have to watch it because it is the worst thing ever. So we, uh, oh, we have God. we have two two recommendations, one later to come, uh, for the worst thing ever. One in video format, uh, one in audio format. Um, it, it, thank you, Jay, for torturing me. And by the way, don't don't let your children see this. As bad as it is, it will still torture children. <laughs> because bunnies are fluffy and fun. <laughs> yes, <laughs> unless they're six feet tall and bloodlust. Hey, I a, do you think the holy hand grenade would have killed it? <laughs> oh, three shot thou counts. Uh, I don't know. The holy hand grenade of, an anti- of Antioch might not have been enough to handle these guys. Although, <laughs> but it's got huge fangs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just, it's just bad and and bad in the best way. Um, you, <laughs> okay. you have you have to watch it. You do. It's. Uh, and it, there's no plot there. It's just cutscenes of the best bad moments. So, but I suspect the movie has no plot. That's my <laughs> that's my hunch. Um, so you're you're saying this movie could actually be worse than Attack of the Killer Tomatoes? Uh, you know I love actually Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Uh, Anybody got some ketchup? Yeah, it was it was an awesome movie. But I mean, this has a dude. With, with, they're not even trying to make it look like it's not a dude with furry gloves on. I mean, they, they and <laughs> and they, yeah, I think it may actually be better than the six and a half dollar man who can only have has bionics in one leg. Uh, it, it may, it may be better. Uh, I can't, but why oh, didn't I put that lucky. in the forum post? Why? How could I have forgotten that one? The Attack of the Giller Tomatoes. Dude, I try, I've been trying to think of movies to put in there all the time, and it just came to me now. So it took you talking about the awesomeness of the Night of the Lepus highlight clip to sufficiently jog our collective consciousness. I saw that uh, with Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Remember she used to do uh, a show <laughs> yep. like late at night on Saturdays where she hosted bad movies? Um, yes, pre, yep. uh, was it Mystery Science Theater? Yeah. 
she's uh old school and when you're early pubescent with her rack you will watch any movie she says to watch they, they had this Pretty, hypnotic, oh, yeah. hypnotic effect so yeah <laughs> okay moving along willie not his real name has a boris box question says hi all i was listening to the everyday linux show and i heard mark mention that his boris box blocks ads i've been attempting to do this very thing with my new pfsense box i know that i've heard you mention pfsense but i'm not sure if you're using uh, an untangle setup could you please point me in the right direction thank you for all your hard work creating such enjoyable content i love listening to the edl podcast during my daily drive signed willie everlearn um uh willie i use ipcop uh, but more specifically, the Dan's Guardian plugin for IPCOP. And Dan's Guardian uses SquidGuard, and there's a SquidGuard module that blocks ad traffic. So if you're using SquidGuard in PFSense, there's a pre-configured ad blocker to it. So uh, I'm not using PFSense, but that's the thing that actually makes that happen. Chris, you've used PFSense yeah. a lot. Have you tried that? Um, I haven't tried it, but I know it's it, it, there is that system in there. Um, I'm just now looking through the uh, the package management for PFSense at the at this very moment to see if I can find one that says uh, this for ads. But all I'm finding is the SquidGuard itself. Um, it's just a blacklist that you load into SquidGuard. So even if ah. it's not even if it's not a downloadable module, it is an IP cop. It's just a, a a box you can check. You can go to the internet, just search "add blacklist uh, squid guard" and then load it into your system. Uh, or if you are using Untangle, it's a big green button. It's pretty darn yep. awesome. Block ads, yes or no? Yes, thank you, and they go away. Yeah, I'll, I'm gonna I'll look into the squid guard um, after the show's over, so I can see if PFSense has a, a, a an easy way to import a blacklist or not. Um, I don't know off the top of my head, but I will look after the show and I will report next week. All right. Will he ever learn? Uh, and the next one, Greg offers us our conspiracy theory of the week. He said he, it would be maybe something we could discuss in the news section. I read it. It's a little too tinfoil hat for me. And we'll we'll talk about it just a little bit, but it will be an exercise for the listener. Um, Greg says, uh, I stumbled upon this and thought it uh, could be an issue to discuss in the news section. The first link is a blog that someone emailed me. Since the guy that sent it is a conspiracy theory type, I, th- type, I thought I'd go to the original article. The other link is the article on Zeit Online. It's in German, so I'm guessing you'll need to translate it. Yes, I don't speak German. Um, and then he says, if it were ever to hit the mainstream, it could be a really bad thing for Microsoft. Um, Oh, and then Seth has a comment there. He actually already had that in there. So, okay. So we can go ahead and transition to uh, the new segment and talk about that, Seth. So let me give a brief synopsis of it. A German company alleges, without any evidence or proof or uh, anything more than uh, we think so, that the new UEFI um, part uh, of Windows 8 is actually an NSA backdoor. Hmm. Interesting. That's, uh, I'd like to know how that's going to actually work to tell you the truth, but okay. I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> Seth, my my tinfoil hat ears are turned yeah. on and, and wondering, cause, uh, this sounds a little 
little too tinfoil hat to me. Well, the article that I had found on this didn't go into the uh, detail that that did, but it was talking about the uh, trusted platform modules 2.0 that Windows um, 8 interacts with, and that once it goes with the um, once they uh, upgrade to TPM2, they won't be able to deactivate it on their machines if they don't want to use it. And so it's one of those things to where the article I had seen was more looking at, you know, how much it could be costing Microsoft to have it in there. And now you've got like Germany who is uh, starting to apparently make pushes to just basically get rid of Microsoft altogether from and uh, from any type of, you know, government operation so the article was more just talking it was i might have been a summary of that because it pointed to a couple of the others um and i just like i say i just seen this for one particular one here so it doesn't really say how it does it but they fear that they they won't be able to tell what microsoft will be able to do through remote updates because they lose the granularity control that um the trusted platform modules upgrade will give them. So it's one of those, it doesn't seem to be bad now, but whenever you couple this thing with this other thing that's coming, then we don't know what it's going to do. So maybe we shouldn't use it. It's kind of what he's saying. Yeah. So I was conflating, um, UEFI and TPM. So that, that's my mistake. It's, uh, the UEFI is, uh, security at the boot level. It determines what code can boot on your machine. And TPM uh, is security at the software level. It determines what software can run on your machine. So it's a it's a dual pronged attack, but they are not the same thing. So essentially, TPM is um, how can I put this? It's it's a fingerprint database of yeah. hardware, and certain hardware has already been approved as secure. That's that's a really simple way to put it. So we put Windows on a machine, it looks for the the fingerprint of the hardware, compares it with a database they have somewhere off in the world. And if it matches this fingerprint, it assumes this is a good computer and will consider it trusted. And and the, the problem is it's a black box that you can't look inside. And so the conspiracy theory types look at any black box as a Pandora's box. Right, because you don't know, they could easily, there could be a a hardware module that is a keylogger or something like that, that you wouldn't know if it got inserted, but because it's on the, it's on the secure list, you know, you wouldn't be able to know. And so you think you're secure, but instead you've got this keylogger that's going off and you you're trusting your operating system to tell you when something like that is there, or you're trusting your security to tell you something like that is there. But the operating system is telling the security software, no, I know about this. You don't need to look here, you know, you know, stand along, move aside, move along, nothing to see. So these aren't the droids you're looking for. Uh, Right. Here, here, let me, I'm just going to address this school of thought, not this particular thing, but this school of thought in general. Uh, I understand the concept of trust no one and the idea that um, if I can't verify it, I can't trust it. But the only way to trust your operating system is to write it yourself. 
So if you're going to use Windows or Linux or Mac or Solaris or anything, you have to trust people. Unless you're going to go through every line of code in the Linux kernel and then every line of code and every software package you install on it and every line of code in every OS you put on it. And if you're that good that, that you can't uh, possibly miss a mistake, you're going to have to trust somebody. And let's forget software. Let's take that out of the picture and say we have perfect software that you yourself wrote and is infallible. You can't trust your hardware. It's all built in China. And, and it's all, you know, uh, hardware is nothing but software on chips. So there's software everywhere. And at some point, you have to just say, okay, I bought this laptop. It came with Windows 8 on it. I'm either going to use it or not. But to have this mentality of I can't trust it because of X or Y is just stupid. You either can trust it or you can't. And they're, they're, it's, it's not like being kind of pregnant. You either do trust it or you don't. And, and to, to try to poke holes in it and look for uh, black box conspiracy things is just a waste of everybody's time. All right, that's my sermon. Preach on, preacher man. <laughs> yeah, well, and again, you know, the Linux community, they have, and of course, I'm sure that the percentage of the Linux community who actually looks at the code is probably not that big, but at least they have the ability to go in and look at it. So at least it's theoretically open. But then again, you know, if I can't read Arabic, it doesn't matter what's printed on the Arabic paper in front of me. So I just have to take somebody's word for it. See, it's all right here for you to read if you want to. Um, so, but at least there's the myth of openness. Um, kind of like, you know, the myth of uh, confidential email, but, you know, you have this myth of openness in Linux versus the cold, hard reality of closeness in Microsoft. You know, the difference is one tells you, no, you can't see this. And the other one, it's like, yeah, sure, you can see it. That doesn't mean you're going to understand one single thing of what you read. Um, but, well, you know, they wouldn't let me see it if it wasn't bad um, or whatever. So I don't know. I mean, I just kind of agree with you. But again, you know, this article plays up to the Linux community's default position of anything open is good and anything closed is bad. What do you mean you've never been to Alpha Centauri? If you can't be bothered to take an interest in local politics, then I have no sympathy for your planet. <laughs> There's a small portion of the audience that's laughing right now. Um, so no, and the, I, I've, I haven't read any of those books, but I got it, and that was good. <laughs> uh, so uh, I throw back from last week, the, the title that was teased, but the article that was lost, uh, has Google gone from do no evil to just plain evil. Yes, and um, an internet briefing that Google filed with the federal court says that uh, people can reasonably, or Google doesn't believe that people can reasonably expect their emails to say private when emailing a Gmail user even if they don't use Gmail. So basically, it's one of those things, you know, we've talked about it before. It's not so much that there's nothing new here, but it's just the pure stupidity that somebody in the position of authority within the company would say something like this is, yeah, any email you've seen to us, you really shouldn't think that that's private or secure. It's I mean, tone you know, deaf is what it is. It's, it's not understanding yeah. the current uh, political client uh, climate. Um, so yes, all email is open 
unless you actively set out to encrypt it. And even then, yep. at yeah. some point in the way, it has to be decrypted. Uh, the RFCs, request for comments, the 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 rules that govern the internet, um, say that email is an open thing that runs across open relays in public ways. So there's no, and when I was in school, I always told people treat email like a postcard. Anybody along the way can flip it over and read it. Um, and, and that's true. There's lots of places, lots of people handle that piece of mail and any one of them can read it and you've got to treat email that way. So that's what this legal counsel, uh, for, for Google was saying, but he said it in a very ham handed way. Yeah. Well, that's the thing yeah, new lately. I, yeah. And I've been, I've been really working to put good headlines, you know, you're trying to get good copy on my headline. So I was really proud of the headline and I'm, I'm sorry. I put the wrong link on it last week. <laughs> but. Right. It was, it was doubly teased because it was, it had an, a whole yeah. extra week. Uh, so Microsoft is uh, doing some, uh, some restructuring it seems. And I, that's yeah. all I yes. get because the article's not loading for me. So <laughs> that's all I can say right now. Uh, Steve Ballmer has announced that he is going to retire from Microsoft within the next 12 months. And so it's not so much that he just put, Hey, I'm thinking about leaving sometime, but he's going to stay on as CEO and he's going to be involved in the process of picking the next CEO. And once they're selected, then he's going to step down. So they're not going to have like an interim thing. Um, at first I was like, Oh, well, this is stupid. He's saying he's thinking about leaving, but it's like he's announced he's leaving and, but he's going to stay until they find a successor within the next year is basically the gist of the article and you know i mean he's been at microsoft for an extremely long time and i came across another link that said that microsoft had lost approximately 350 billion dollars of cap uh on the stock market since he took over and since his announcement of retirement it's gained back like 15 billion um wow. in like the last few days <laughs> so apparently the markets thought it was good um and there was another article saying that how steve Ballmer was the best thing for linux um the way he was screwing up over at microsoft with like vista and windows 8 was giving people more and more pause to at least take a look at Linux. So, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm kind of bummed. I didn't think about saying it that way, but you know, I mean, he's been there for a long time and he's obviously done a lot at the company and whenever, while Microsoft isn't the 800 pound gorilla anymore, they're probably at least a good 650, if not 675. They're still a, they're still a big gorilla in the computer technology field. And whenever their CEO announces he's leaving, well, that's big news. So we talked about Google being tone deaf. Steve Ballmer is the dictionary entry for tone deafness. Uh, he has spent a career saying stupid things and expecting other people to back them up. But the dude ran the company for a long time and, you know, they're still worth a bajillion dollars. So, you know, he's not as inept as people like to say he is. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And uh, but that doesn't not going to stop me from making fun of him uh, whenever I can, just because that's what I like to do. Well, what oh, I like it, it's in, all about the quarters. <laughs> I, I follow you know the tech news loosely, but uh, that what's interesting is is Microsoft is starting to get a little bit of their swagger back. You know, back in the pre um, uh, monopoly days, 
when they were just, you know, they put Windows uh, Internet Explorer on your desktop, whether you like it or not. And the Department of Justice said, you got to take us off. And they said, no. Um, you know, and, and that was, at least that was a fun Microsoft to hate. And then they got big and they got slow and they got old and it was, you know, they were acquiescing everywhere along the way. Anytime somebody sued them, they said, fine, fine, here's a billion dollars. It doesn't matter to us. You know, well, now they're taking some lumps, you know, they're trimming down a little bit and they're getting a little of that swagger back. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Hopefully their new CEO will be a little more interesting. I mean, uh, I, I kind it's kind of fun to watch a company that has essentially infinite money um and has an attitude to go with it google you know up until very recently has kind of had that too they they've started uh settling into being uh you know sort of the sage of the tech world but for a long time they were like we're gonna do what we want and if you find us fine here's a billion i'm good with that uh so no 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 here's a pie billion i'm good with that yeah (laughs) here's a fabergé billion Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna bid uh, pie billion on this spectrum of of radio wave just because because nobody can touch us, so deal with it. Uh, so it's fun to watch those kind of companies, and sometimes it's fun yeah. to get mad at them. But either way, at least they're interesting to talk about. Yeah, yeah, Microsoft needs to go with somebody a lot younger. I think um, you know Steve's been around, maybe not. I don't know when he started there, but he's been around since Microsoft was a little company. Uh, they definitely need somebody fresh from you know. I mean, obviously not somebody who's never been at Microsoft before, but maybe not somebody who's been at that top leadership in that same group of people. They definitely need to, I think, go another direction. Uh, said me and my. Uh, you know, for all the companies I've ran that are worth billions and billions of dollars. Well, I hear Ashton Kutcher coming off of playing Steve Jobs is looking for work. So maybe, maybe he could step in. I was going to say, what, what they need to look for is someone who's hungry. You know, a, a young up-and-comer that's hungry to, to change something. Someone with some, some bite in his, in his thoughts. All right. That would be kind of fun to have. I'm not hungry, but I got a huge bite. So, so let let me draw an analogy. This is like uh, getting your way back machine, guys. This is Twisted Sister. Okay, Twisted Sister made their fame on we're not going to take it and and party all the time and and teenage angst. And then their second album, they're sitting around their million dollar beach house with with bikini models standing in line to service them sexually trying to write teenage angst songs and it just didn't work and so that's that's kind of what's happened with with these big companies you know they were hungry they were angry they were cocky and then suddenly they're worth a quadrillion dollars and it doesn't matter so much anymore it's hard to be angry when you have infinite resources definitely so we need we need a young somebody who is hungry yeah um, all right, moving on, X.org. Uh, X.org is in all kinds of trouble lately, but uh, the U.S. government says they're no longer a nonprofit organization. That's kind of weird. That's not yes. good. You know, and I, I, I can give you, okay, I'm going to throw out my conspiracy theory just because I like to throw one out, whether there's any basis in it or not. But Stuart Kurtman, who is the X.org Foundation accountant, and also an Oracle employee. He wrote during the board that the status was lost because they failed to file the three past year's tax returns on time. Uh, 
Note that we've never filed returns since our first reorganization to the LLC in 2005. I was taken by surprise that the IRS hit us so rudely. I've had little issues with my own returns and I have always found them to be reasonable and friendly. So this is just another way where Oracle is trying to destroy open source. Uh, there's my conspiracy theory. <laughs> what, what do you think? Is that there a good go. one? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You're stretching. <laughs> but then again, by definition, all um, uh, conspiracy theories are stretching. So I don't know. Yeah. No, they're looking to maybe come under the umbrella of some other organization, such as uh, Apache or something like that, that has less paperwork involved. So, um, you know, if you're giving to the Xorg Foundation to support their work, you're no longer giving to a charitable or a charitable cause. So it's no longer tax deductible. Um, but anyway, yeah, it was just a, it was interesting. I, I couldn't believe that one sentence that I read from Stuart. I thought that was just amazing i've had a few issues with my tax return and the irs has always been reasonable and friendly i don't know why they would take our thing if we haven't filed a return in eight years um i, I just i can't believe that i mean i, I don't know irs reasonable and friendly that i those that's the first time in my life i've seen those words even in the same paragraph right so um yeah it i just I wanted to basically read that sentence. That's why this is in the new section. All right. And so while we're in the legal disputes category, Larry Lessig, the famous creator of the copy left uh, movement is getting trouble over getting in trouble over copyright. Yeah. You know, we talked about, okay, Mark, what did you think of my title for this one? I thought that was a good, good headline shakedown for a digital takedown. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, I, I tried. <laughs> I wasn't anyway, impressed yeah, we, as you were. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, I was trying, though. Uh, you know, we talked uh, last week about DCMA, uh, Digital Millennial Copyright Act, and uh, stuff getting pulled off for, um, and the whole concept of what is fair use. Well, he did this video several years ago, and part of his video, a very small part, was clips of another video for the song uh, I, the song by liz tomania or or the phoenix song liz I, what i can't even pronounce it um but anyway and then there were people around the world just randomly dancing to it and he got a takedown notice and then a threat of a lawsuit from viacom and so what he did um, with the electronic, uh, with the EFF is he sued them before they could sue him over basically, Hey, you're costing me money because I've had to take this down. And so because he initiated the suit, the other company can't just drop it and let it go away. And basically the recording industry has tried to make it so there is no repercussion for a bad takedown request and he's trying to do something about it by saying hey you can't just throw these notices and take people down at your whim there is something called fair use and it, there is a he's not trying to make a legal precedent for fair use he's trying to defend the legal precedent and give teeth to people who get stomped on by the bigger companies did i did i muck that up well, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, Larry Lessig is, is not afraid to be a lightning rod. Uh, right. He's just, he's kind of doing that again. He's, he's, um, you know, we've talked about before the, the stupid 
takedown notices and, and that he's saying, hey, we're, there needs to be some recourse for these. Yeah. And the fact he's like a lawyer and teaches Harvard law, you know, he he has the the wherewithal to fight it and he's got the EFF backing him financially to stand up and see how this goes. I mean, you know, this is one time I'm kind of rooting for the lawyer um, as much as that pains me to say. Um, well, I guess I shouldn't <laughs> say that now because I work for a law firm. So go lawyer. CA. <laughs> All right, so uh, moving on to the next one. This is uh, an interesting story. Um, a hacker uh, found a Facebook bug and did the right thing. He contacted Facebook bug support, whatever it is, report line, and they said, oh, that's not a bug. Basically, he was able to um, post on anybody's timeline he wanted to for any reason. And so he picked uh, picked somebody. He said, hey, I did this and contacted Facebook, and Facebook said, meh, we don't care. So then he post pasted on Mark Zuckerberg's Facebook page on his timeline. That got some attention. <laughs> Just a little bit. But because here's the thing. Because he uh they say um violated terms of use, they're not gonna pay the bounty. So they have a bounty a bounty program. You report a bug, they verify it's a bug, they pay you for it. But now they're weaning weaning out and saying because you violated your terms of service. Who isn't going to violate terms of service if they're looking for bugs? How do you report a bug and not violate terms of service? So they're saying no that they refuse to pay for it. So this is why I love the internet. The internet stepped in and said, fine, Facebook won't pay you a couple hundred bucks. We will pay you tens of thousands. Yeah, they are up to um, a little over $12,000 uh, in the... Um they set up it's it's kind of the equivalent of a crowdsourcing kickstarter thing but i can't remember the name but yeah facebook they have test accounts set up for this specific reason so i don't know if maybe he didn't know about them or but like i say he tried he did the right thing and they refused it so maybe he had done it before and they just didn't like it so um anyway yeah he posted on zuckerberg's and then so you know here's the thing facebook gets to raise the issue of uh, privacy um, and just remind people of that. But then they also don't have to pay the bounty, but he still gets paid. So, you know, Facebook, it's kind of good for them. You know, the old adage that the only bad publicity is no publicity. Uh, people are talking about Facebook, so they're going to go to Facebook and look at this and see the ads and click it. And Facebook is going to make money off of this story, but then they don't have to pay the bug. So they come out. It's a win-win for them. But he gets fame. He'll probably get a job offer out of this if he's technically savvy enough to find bugs. And then he gets a larger bounty than what Facebook would have paid to begin with. So it's a win-win for everybody. The, the only world thing he is needs made next, of rose petals. The only thing he needs next is for Matthew Inman of the Oatmeal to draw a cartoon about him and then billions will pour in. Like he there did you for go. the Tesla Museum. Uh, okay, moving on. We talked about it uh, when they first tried it. Google's Loon project is moving into the states, specifically the Central Valley of California. Yeah, they are um, contacting people, and I don't know if it's closed yet or not. But you can, if you live in the area, you can fill out a survey, and what they will do is they will come install a special antenna on your house. Now, this is only 
for testing. So it's not going to be a live connection at this point, but it's going to be there to simulate internet traffic. And then they're going to have some of their balloons in the, uh, over the California skies, one step closer to seeing how feasible it is. Um, you know, if it's feasible to do in the States or I guess anywhere, but so yeah, they're just bringing they're they're rolling it out. Of course, I mean, well, Google is in perpetually in beta, so they're just, you know, beta point four eight nine seven one as opposed to four eight nine seven um, on their loon project. I think that could be cool and it shows that they're serious about it. You know, they're actually right. doing so. So basically there's going to be an antenna plus a chip, it could be something as simple as a Raspberry Pi, but its job is to just generate traffic, and, and any good hacker knows how to do that. You can you can pretty easily generate enough traffic to bring down any network from just a standard laptop. Uh, so they, yeah, right. they, they've got some gear that'll do that, and as the balloon flies by, basically they're going to try to saturate it and see what happens and see if the balloon recovers, and then it'll uh, move in between houses, move into the next house, and get saturated again. And that's that's how you load test. That's the when I set up Wi-Fi hotspots, you know, in in large areas. That's how I did it. Generate traffic, see what happens, uh, then tune in your weak spots. So they're they're serious about this thing. Um, and I'll be interested to see, um, you know, if ten years from now, if balloons flying in the stratosphere are common things. I thought it'd be so, interesting. Yeah. As I've said before, it's an amazing time to be alive. Uh, and so for our last story this week, uh, there's a new boy in town when it comes to Linux, uh, excuse me, internet middleware, and it ain't Linux. Well, yeah, no, not really. But yeah, Core OS, which what some guys are doing, they are doing the tried and true Palo Alto thing. They're starting off in a garage and they're taking the Chrome OS and they're trying to modify it to run a server to run basically has a server um, for what the web is involving into. And it's being called Core OS, um, but they're kind of turning the uh, they're trying to turn the server basically into a website. So instead of hosting up web pages, it will kind of be a web page that you access. Um, and the article kind of goes technical, and I, I, it's a little too technical for me, and even more so for me to try to explain. But basically, you know, th this is kind of Apache's. Uh, Apache is the 800-pound gorilla in this area, and they're trying to do something that, you know, I don't know whether it's just going to kind of complement Apache. It's not meant for that kind of things, but it seems to me like they're setting up shop and trying to extend Chrome OS to become a server rather than simply a browser. So the idea is HTML5 can do just about anything uh, an operating system can do, and it's growing quickly. Um, so all we really need are web servers in the world. We don't actually need uh, OSs. And that's that's the the general nature uh, or principle behind the Chrome OS, and they want to take that and go further and make it so that uh, anybody can essentially create any app in HTML format from any software from any hardware. Um, it's an interesting idea. It'll see what happens, but it's sort of a, a meta OS. They're taking existing OSs, stringing them together, and creating a new OS out of it. That's a rough estimation of of how i read this article it's still pretty cool yeah i, I yeah. like it when anybody tries something audacious 
And this is definitely audacious. Hey, instead of just uh, coming up with the, the another fart app, how about let's totally reinvent the way the world computes? I like that idea better. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think there, I still personally think there's too few poo apps in the world today. <laughs> but um, I guess if they're not going to do that, you know, redesign, revolutionize web services, eh, it might be okay. And this week in internet history, Linux was born. Maybe. It was announced anyway. Oh, and it's that it always works. As soon as I go to Seth, he crashes. So uh, <laughs> Linux already existed. Uh, Linus had worked on it. But 22 years ago today, August 25th, um, he announced it to the world with a simple message internet. saying, hey... Here I am. Here's this new thing I've created. Yep. <laughs> Seth doesn't know what I just said, so he's nodding, assuming I covered covered all of it. <laughs> no, I just, you know, and th unlike last time, this time my signal normally, for whatever reason in the past, my, my internet connection has stayed up and I've just lost y'all. But this time I lost the internet connection. But yeah, so anyway, yeah, he sent that email out and it, it's kind of like, it, it's the equivalent of parents saying, hey, we're pregnant. It's not that it's there yet, but, you know, it's being worked on. It's in the oven developing. Right. So here's, I, I love the, I'm just going to read the email. It's simple. Uh, it says, hello, everyone. Hello, everybody. He's stealing my line. Um, hello, everybody. Hello, everybody out there using Minix. I'm doing a free operating system, just a hobby. Won't be big and professional like GNU. Uh, for 386 and 486 AT clones. This has been brewing since April, and it's starting to get ready. I'd like any feedback on things people like or dislike in Minix. As my OS resembles it somewhat, same physical layout of the file system due to practical reasons, among other things. And I will say, Linus Torvalds likes parentheses. Uh, he says, I've currently ported Bash and GCC, and things seem to work. This implies I'll, it'll get, uh, I'll get some practical, something practical within the next few months. I'd like to know what features most people would want. Any suggestions are welcome, but I promise, but I won't promise I'll implement them. Uh, P.S. Yes, it's free of any Minix code. It has a multi-threaded file system and is not uh, Protable. I don't know what that means. Um, and it probably... Uh, probably never will support anything other than AT hard disks, uh, as that's all I have. So he had this, this small idea, which grew into a very big thing. He says it's just a hobby, won't be big and professional. Well, he's been working full-time on it for like a decade now. <laughs> Sometimes hobbies turn into more than you think. Yep. Uh, that, it's that way a lot of times. Uh, and before we bring on our guest this week, it's time to do the ad for the Linux Academy. This thing that Linus Linus thought would just simply be a, a hobby is not only a big thing, but it's a thing you need training on. And where are you going to go to find that training? Why, the LinuxAcademy.com, of course, where you can find step-by-step -step video courses designed to take you from a beginner to a Linux server admin who, with uh, capable of being certified by the time you go through that. How are you going to do that? Easy. About How about 200 training videos? How about PDF study guides that go along with those training videos? How about your own um, uh, lab 
on in the cloud that lets you run up to eight different distributions, not models, not uh, simulations, but actual servers that you can wreck <laughs> as you need to. So when they say, here's an example code, you can actually go do it while you're doing it. They have a lesson browser, so you don't have to take a whole course. You can just pick this lesson and pick that lesson, and their tracking system will track what you've done, uh, give you some ideas of what uh, you know well and what you need to learn, and you can back that up with their online quizzes. Uh, take a, t a test, see what you know and what you don't know, and, and from what I've heard, the quizzes are not a simple thing. These are no pushovers. The, con the, the, the educational content is good, and so they make the tests hard as a result of it because they believe you should know this stuff by the time you've watched the videos. Uh, also, they have the Linux Academy for Teams if you want to deploy this to a group of individuals and track their progress, or as I like to say, Linux Academy for Education. And if, if you're a bandwidth-impaired individual like our friend Seth, you can download the whole caboodle, not the kit, just the caboodle, on a DVD. Uh, that, uh, is, of course, it's a different price, and I don't know what that is, but uh, you can buy the whole thing instead of subscribing to it. How much does it cost? How about a buck? For a dollar, you get a 14 days. You get 14-day trial to look, or, uh, look around, try it out, see what you like, take as many questions, uh, tests as you want, uh, watch as many videos as you want for two full weeks. If you don't like it, walk away. But you're going to like it. So what happens? Well, you fork, fork over another 18 bucks for the rest of the month. So you get $19 for a month. But hey... Why stop there? You get Ginsu knives too. Not really. But you do get a free month when you buy two. So you can buy by the quarter. Three months for only $38. So the price of two months, you get three months. And when you go, tell them that, uh, uh, that we sent you by using the sign-up code EverydayLinux in the referral box. Check them out. You won't be sorry that you did. And without further comment on that, I... Pause for follow up, and there is none. So we'll move uh, straight on. <laughs> Sorry, <in. laughs> we'll move straight on into the interview with uh, Gary Newell of the Everyday Linux User website. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So uh, let's start just uh, at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about Gary. What is it you do? What is it uh, that people might know you for? Uh, well, I live in Scotland. Um, I uh, my day job is a uh, I'm a SQL Server DBA uh, come um, computer programmer, um, but most of that's obviously Windows based. Um, from the Linux point of view, um, I started a site two years ago, Everyday Linux User. It's for general Linux users, not for heavy techie people. I'm just a standard Linux user. I'm not, I've never got into Linux programming or anything like that. So the site is just to get people across from Windows to Linux and uh, see how they get on. And so what uh, is your so experience with Linux like? I'm sorry, Chris, you were going to say something? Uh, I was just going to say, so it's like our idea, but across the pond. Nice. Uh, yes, I guess it is. Yeah. Um, I uh, chose the Everyday Linux user name without realizing that there was an Everyday Linux podcast. Um, That's why I hate that you. Was That's <laughs> <laughs> professional as ever. I, you know, I really went um, searching for the name before. You know, I just came up with a name, and uh, I'll, I'll run with that. 
the the dot com isn't taken, that'll do. You know, Google <laughs> suggested it. <laughs> I understand how that goes. I didn't do any searching before I started the podcast, so uh, so the 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 site is uh, is what is it is it your experiences with Linux? Is it uh, tips and tricks? What can people expect to see at the Everyday Linux User website? Uh, there's a lot of uh, reviews of various distros. Um, there's a Puppy Linux page where I reviewed a number of the different Puppy Linux variations. Um, there's a Raspberry Pi page, which is my favorite hobby at the moment, the Raspberry Pi. Um, there's, there's tutorials along the way, bit of humor. Um, but it's my kind of humor. So not everyone maybe gets it, but some, hopefully some people do. Um, that's about it, really. Okay. And so it's just... Yeah. Go ahead, Chris Seth. No, I was going to say, I like your adventures with uh, Pippin the Calico Cat. I have a Calico Cat at home as well, uh, one of many I have. So I, I really enjoy reading, seeing your Cat Cam version one, especially. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the most scientific adventure. Um, uh, you know, uh, I set up the cam, thought, oh, five-minute intervals, that would be fine. You know, bound to catch a cat coming through a cat flap at five minute intervals. Um, obviously that's a really stupid idea. Um, <laughs> but, but luckily the cat's kind of stupid as well. It came in and fell asleep on the mat. So I did catch the, the cat every five minutes for about three hours, I think. <laughs> Just laying there taking a nap. <laughs> the exciting yes. life of a house cat. Well, you can't yes. be on the internet without cats. So that, that's a given. Oh, no, I've got five cats. So. Wow. Yeah. Oh, you got it covered then. <laughs> Good. So so you cover uh, my lack of catness, as does Seth. I, I count on Seth bringing the cat quotient to the show because the last time I checked, he had about 393 somewhere on his property. Yeah, we're down to like six or so. <laughs> so. I, I grew up with lots of cats. My mom was, was the crazy cat lady, you know, who has 90 cats. And that that's probably a large part of my aversion to them is... I grew up having to fight with them 24 hours a day. So anyway, enough right. about cats. Um, so Linux, yeah, that's <laughs> that's what we're here to talk about. So you you founded the site aimed at um, teaching non-technical people interesting things about Linux. Uh, so what has the uh, response been to that over the last couple of years? Um, on the whole, it's pretty good. Uh, I get asked a lot of questions. The way I uh, sort of like judge sort of success is the the comments at the bottom of the page. Um, when you when I first started, the comments at the bottom of the page were you don't know what you're talking about, and that they might be right on that. Um, but um, it's when the comments at the bottom of the page don't discuss the person writing it. It's when they start a discussion amongst the people at the bottom of the page. So they don't even discuss me at all and what I've said. They, they've read the article and they just, uh, you know, have a question and answer session amongst themselves. And that, that's, that's, that's where I judge whether it's gone well or not. And you can, you know, each article on its merits, really. You know, some are good, some are bad. I mean, I, I did one when I first started and it got a huge amount of hits, but it was a terrible article. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, uh, um, how I let down the Linux community, and it was it was a shocking article. With, uh, you know, I'm tempted to take it off the site completely, but it's, it's still there. It's about two years old, so no one reads it now anywhere. I don't think. I, I was embarrassed to say it was in my top ten articles for 
for the best part of a year and a half and uh, you know, I've got a top 10 articles page and it was sat there and I, <laughs> I cringed every time, every time I had to update the list. <laughs> that seems to be how it works. The things that, that you're most ashamed of is what everybody gloms onto. Um, yeah. yeah. That, that's exciting. If, you know, if you've been around a couple of years and, and you've gotten comments that aren't, you don't know anything. We're a hundred episodes in and that's still almost the entirety of our comments is uh, you guys don't know anything. <laughs> uh, and of course they're, they're right most of the time. So. Well, that's okay. Well, it depends on what they're commenting on, but <laughs> uh, so uh, what? Uh, what do you, sort of things do you find draw the most interest uh, and attention when? Uh, when you is there some topic or some type of thing where you say, "I know the moment I hit submit that people are going to be interested in this." Uh, well, um, th- there's some articles when you blog, you know, you're going to get a lot of hits, but they're kind of they kind of catch me articles they I don't particularly like them like you'll you'll see them on the internet top ten things to do mm. about uh, top five things uh, I don't particularly like doing those ones um I find the the ones that really get the most attention are the like the Linux reviews for the top ten distros you know so like if i did if I did a review about Magea, I'm gonna get a lot of traffic about that. And uh, a lot of people telling me I'm wrong, um, generally Makaya users, um, and other people saying, yeah, you're right. Um, and it depends on how, how positive the article was about the distro in question, about whether you get good results at the bottom or whether you get uh, um, sort of negative comments. But uh, uh, the best way of dealing with them is not particularly take too much notice one way or the other, because, you know, some people are so heavily into their distros, they... They, uh, I think they're a bit blinded. They don't like any sort of criticism whatsoever. Um, I, I, there's, a, there's a, an, another guy out there, Dedemido, or uh, he's, he, he's one of the guys I like reading because he, he holds no, you know, he pulls no punches with his sort of reviews. Um, whereas mine are usually, I, I tend to keep them positive. Right. Well, then you're nicer than me because I don't pull any punches. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't know if you've heard of any of our shows and in, in my little rants on how much I hate Unity, but yeah, I don't pull punches personally. I think that's just the uh, the the Southern Canadian way, as Seth would point <laughs> me out there. Well, I'm just of the uh, you know, there's there's people working hard on all these distros. Um, I don't want to rip their work apart and. Uh, you know, if it's going to be a heavily negative review, I'd rather not deal with it. Um, I'd, I'd rather not review it at all and then do something that's completely disparaging to their work. Cause it might be the case that I just haven't got it. And in which case, you know, you know who am I to say that somebody's work's rubbish? Um, well, you know, I you know, think, you know, to, to offer some counterpoint, I think that there is value in honest critique uh, of something. And if, and if you have an audience and you have an opinion, I don't think it's wrong to let your audience hear your opinion. Um, you know, as long as you hit the the actual truth. You know, what what bothers me is when a review um, spends all their time talking about idealism and and what they think might be the case instead of talking about the actual product. You know, if I'm going to review, uh, you know, Unity, for example, as we've done on the show, and it it resoundingly comes out negative every time but we have specific examples of this is what we don't like about it this is what would make it better uh and it's not just you know uh 
we hate it just because. And I think so many times yeah. the internet is full of I hate it just because. Um, and if you can, uh, if you can be well reasoned and intelligent uh, in your criticism, be it whether it's positive or negative, you know you don't want to be a basher, but you don't want to be a fanboy either. So I, you know, just just my opinion there. I think there is value in a negative review uh, because people uh, need to know what their problems, what their weaknesses of their product are. For, for, for the uh, distros I do review, um, I, I, I tend to put the, the problems I've come up against. Um, and, uh, you know, um, I, I, I do do that. But if, if something just doesn't work at all, then uh, I think, did I just get a dodgy ISO download? Did I install it wrong? Have I just not read the documentation properly? Which in itself can be a negative. You know, I mean, if somebody wants somebody to use their product, it should be fairly reasonable to expect it to be installable without too much hassle but then you know it depends who they're targeting at um get, getting back to unity getting back to unity though Wait, um, before actually, you do that but, before you do that i just have to point out that you said doo-doo the seventh grader in me had no. to point that out i couldn't let that go okay now so back to unity <laughs> I like it. Um, I'm a fan of Unity. I think it's great. I can get to any program on the desktop I want within like two or three mouse clicks. And uh, that's that's what I like. <laughs> Chris actually just rolled his eyes. You couldn't, you couldn't see him. I didn't have the camera on him. But he literally just rolled his eyes when you said that. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, man. But I think Unity is rubbish personally. Um, it's, But that's my personal preference. I probably... I don't know how much command line you do. And you probably think the command line is rubbish. So... I guess to each their own, but yeah, for me, Unity is, I, and I even gave it a good run. What was that, 35 days, Mark? I don't know. Was that how long I did Unity? It was more than a month. But anyway, yeah. So uh, uh, I struggle with I struggle with KDE, actually. KDE is my, oh. the one I'm particularly, particularly keen on. <laughs> I, 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 like, I like GNOME. I like XFCE is probably one of my favorites as well. Um, the customizability of XFCE is is excellent um especially on sort of networks and sort of like lighter machines i'd recommend that any day so what is your um combination of choice if you what do you naturally go to i, I hand you a, a laptop today with a blank hard drive what uh what version of linux are you going to put on it, on it what windows manager what software uh well at the moment i'm running ubuntu um I just found the, the latest version of Ubuntu to be pretty slick, to be honest with you. It, um, I, I wasn't using it. I was using, um, I, I've been using all, all sorts of distros in the last year. And it, I, I've been using whatever I've been reviewing. So, um, I, I've been reviewing a distro every sort of week, every two weeks. So what, whatever happened to be on my machine at that point in time, that was it. That was, that was my distro, which sometimes had bad results because Sometimes things just didn't work, um, but I just found Ubuntu at the moment is is slick, and you're probably rolling your eyes again. No, actually, we're fans of Ubuntu <laughs> uh, on on this show. I, I, that um, I personally prefer the uh, Mint spin uh, on Ubuntu just because it has more stuff out of the box, uh, but they also include some of the things they include out of the box aren't legal in the U.S. Uh, so I, I, my distro of choice is also Ubuntu. That's the one I go with. Uh, Chris, on the other hand, uh, uh, likes Crunchbang and, uh, <laughs> oh, quite. yeah, Crunchbang. There you go. 
uh, Fedora is my my uh, distro of choice lately. But uh, yeah, it's so far so good. I guess I, I reviewed Crunchbang not so long ago, and I, I really liked it. It was really fast. Um, I, I used that for a while, actually, even when I didn't need to. Um, yeah, I, I, I had that on my netbook for a while as well because it just it just runs so fast. Um, it's mint, like a task, yeah. I can understand why people use Mint, um, especially with Cinnamon. It's, it's, it's very nice. Um, but I just think Unity, uh, I know you don't agree with this, but I think Unity's more forward thinking than, than Cinnamon. Cinnamon seems to be very similar to the, the Windows way of working, whereas Unity is at least an attempt to move forward with the desktop. And I think, uh, no, you know, a lot of people are going to disagree with this, I'm sure, but GNOME and the Unity thing is, is actually a different spin on the way it used to work. And I quite like it. You can get to where you want to go with a couple of keystrokes. Yeah, my, uh, I don't actually disagree with you, with you at all on that point. Uh, Unity is more forward-looking. Uh, Cinnamon is by design backwards looking the idea was to to hang on to that which we know and love my problem with unity is it's just not ready yet it is way more ready than it was when it was first released and and when yeah, i i will agree with that when i couldn't speak the name without spitting um it, it has come a long way it's just it's still i think probably in two more re- releases it'll be ready for its first release and that that was my complaint about it it just it wasn't ready and it was put on the most popular um, Linux distribution in the world so that we could all be the beta testers for it. Um, and I think that mentality in general is antagonistic to Linux adoption. Uh, we should put our best foot forward, not our beta foot forward. But, you know, in the same vein, Windows 98 Second Edition was almost everything Microsoft promised Windows 95 would be. So, uh, you and know, it's kind of the same was. thing with Unity. Yes. Yeah, I didn't say there uh, wasn't precedent fault. for it, but I didn't like it when Microsoft did it, and I don't like it when, when uh, the Ubuntu Foundation does it. Yeah, but I think for the average user who doesn't do much, you know, they're just Facebooking and emailing and looking at pictures of cats on the internet, <laughs> Unity is probably yes. a great, uh, great desktop manager to use. And to be honest, that's my personal use at home is looking at cats on the internet, to be honest with you. <laughs> Your uh, own cat. When, 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 when I'm at work, I use, uh, you know, uh, well, I, I use Windows and I do .NET programming, I do DBA stuff. When I'm at home, all I want to do is watch Fenton the dog on the YouTube channels and, <laughs> you know, uh, the new Corey Feldman video on YouTube. Have you heard that? That's terrible. Um <laughs> No, I, and it, uh, uh, that, that's actually going to be in my next article. It's such a bad song and a bad video that it's going to be in my whatever the distribution I'm reviewing. That is going to be the YouTube clip. I am meme free <laughs> for 2013, so I hear nothing. I know nothing. Um, I have no comment. Well, if it uh, is sufficiently we'll bad, it will make it to my Seth's link page. <laughs> I, I will say that you do have two kindred spirits here in your love of the puppy. Um, I introduced Seth to Puppy Linux, oh gosh, probably about eight years ago. Uh, I was a fanboy. He has become an even bigger fanboy than I was. It is such an amazing little distro for, um, I wouldn't say it's for everyday use, for, but, but for utilitarian purposes, it's amazing. I've carried it around on my pen drive for years in various guises. 
I like the way the, the names of the programs are thrown, like Barry's Simple Network Manager and Joe's Window Manager. And right. it's just named, you know, things like that. It's so personal and, you know, the tools are so small, but so good. And with the last few releases, it they added a lot of eye candy too. So even though you can't do everything you can with others, it still, it looks pretty. And that's a big deal in today's uh, OS saturated market. It's got to look pretty. Yeah. Uh, the one I've been using um, is MacPub, which makes your puppy Linux look like a, a Mac desktop. Um, and it's good. It, it runs, it, Runs very well. Um, that, that was awesome, Gary. You just made Seth roll his eyes. You're batting a thousand. That's amazing. <laughs> Why would you want to do anything to make anything look like a Mac? Oh man, I'm sorry. I'm the uh, I'm the Mac basher on the show. If we, if we ever need to fill time, Mark will just say Seth bash Apple, and I can come up with anything off the top of my head. Yes, because filling time uh, is a problem on this show. Oh, I can bash Apple all day long. I, I hate Apple. Um, with a, everything Apple, the, the fact that they call those people what uh, experts are they in the store? Is geniuses, geniuses, geniuses. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I don't know which is worse, an Apple store or a Hollister store. Um, if you do, they call it Hollister over there, or is it Abercrombie Fitch? I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's both. Walked, Abercrombie Fitch. Uh, you, you walk it's in there, the Abercrombie it's dark. Fitch. You, you can't see anything. You you can't speak to anyone because the music's so loud. Uh, maybe it's because I'm four, uh, almost forty, you know. But it's just a shocking shop. Get off my and lawn! <laughs> <laughs> I would have to be cut into three equal sizes to buy anything <laughs> in that store. I'm I'm a rather big guy. Did you? Oh, I, I don't buy anything. It's from the kids. Yes. My, my son's of the age that, you know, he's, he's, he's almost a teenager and it's like, I want stuff from Hollister. Just to chase that <laughs> rabbit a little bit. Uh, did you read the article? It's been a while ago that uh, the CEO of Abercrombie and Fitch basically came out and said, we don't want ugly people in our store, in our clothes. We, we only want sexy people, and, and if ugly people can't deal with it, we're fine with that. Um, I actually then, they, I, 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 Sorry. Go ahead, Gary. Yeah, I actually oh, no, wrote a rant on Reddit. You did? I, yeah. I wrote a rant, yeah, about Hollister. So a Linux uh, user who rants on Reddit. I, you're, you're a rare breed. Honestly, I don't think I've ever heard of that before. <laughs> Seth, you were going to say something? Yeah, no, I was just going to say that they actually got hammered. I happen to, uh, I have a long commute to work and Abercrombie and Finch, they missed their numbers this last quarter and the board is hoping that's enough to get that, uh, to get that guy out of the company because apparently they didn't like what he said or they might not have disagreed with what he said, but they did not like the way in which he said it. There you go. So there all kinds of off-topic stuff here, but uh, hey, the, Gary is the topic, so whatever he wants to talk about. <laughs> That's go. right. <laughs> okay. So what else? What else uh, did I not ask you that I should have? <laughs> um, well, I don't know, really. Um See, that's that's uh, you have a I was going to say you have a poll up that you're a member of or you're we're trying to win. I went and voted for you today, actually, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. Um, the, there's a poll being run by phosphorus.com. 
Um, it's for um, basically, it's, it's, it's supposed to be the best personal blog about Linux, I think. So it's cut out all sort of things from the major sort of like bloggers, you know, the the people that do it professionally. And uh, it's left, 10 of us left. Um, Dedemido, I think that's how you pronounce his name. But anyway, his, his, his poll is top. I think it's a, a great, a, a great blog. Um, and there's Linux notes from Dark Duck. Um, he's the guy that inspired me to start writing in the first place. Um, he's a top guy as well. So, um, feel free to vote for him as well. Um, um, the, there's a guy called Jim Lynch. You must have heard of him. Um, he, he inspired me to start writing about Linux as well, because that guy is, is a good, a good writer. Um, so yeah, um, there's a phosphorus poll, um, vote for your favorite personal blog. I don't think Jim Lynch is there, but because I think he's a professional. Um, so I don't think he is, his blogs count, but <laughs> that's it really. And is there a link somewhere to that so that we can flog it? Uh, yeah, I think it's just www.fossforce.com. I think it's popular uh, first. I will get the link from uh, Gary's website, Mark, and I will stick it in the show notes that links to that one. So Perfect. we can link to him and the uh, Fossforce. Perfect. So if our audience, uh, we could drive... I don't know fives of listeners to you. Um, it could we could put you over the edge. Um, as many as nine or ten people. No, we we have a pretty good audience, and and I got to say our audience is uh, generally very responsive about that sort of stuff. If we uh, if we if they like something, it's not what if it's not that we have to the, tell them to like it, but if they like it, um, they will uh, they'll support you. So that's that's great. So. Um, I'm I'm interested in your the overall scope of your site the the everyday Linux user right so you said it was aimed at um, <clears throat> at non professional would you say novice users or just well I guess the everyday user right that's your uh, your audience yeah it's, it's it's for people that you know um, not necessarily into um, as the Ubuntu podcast call it um, command line love they're not in, into particularly doing as as much on the command line now they, they just want to use the computer for computing you know right. they um, so would people you like, people like my wife really you know they want to use facebook they want to they want to listen to music they want to watch videos they want to use skype netflix the, all those sort of things um but they don't want to they don't want to use windows anymore yeah, so that was my question is, is do you have a target audience that you try these out on? Because it's as you become more adept with an operating system, it gets more difficult to know what is beginner content. Uh, I know I, I, I've certainly found this in the, the last two years of doing this show is, is we tend to forget what is beginner content sometimes and, and our listeners remind us do you have like a, a focus group, your wife probably being one of them, but do you have people that, uh, that you have Test read your audio, your articles to see if they're, uh, you know, uh, too uh, too far above the average user's head. Uh, no, um, I just release it as is, um, professional to the end. <laughs> the one thing, I, the, the one, the one thing I would say is that uh, you know my, my my ability to stay dumb on Linux is uh, is up there with the best of them. So uh, I probably haven't made it much more technical than when I first started. Um, it you know I've I, I do command line stuff, but you know, if I put the effort in, I could easily, I've done the Linux from scratch stuff, 
and I've managed to get a working system. But don't ask me to do oh, it again. That's pretty good. I wouldn't be able to. I wouldn't be able to. Do, well, I'd be able to follow the instruction. I knew what I was doing. I was, I was installing software and I was patching it using various, um, sort of like, um, you know, parameters based on the, the, based on the documentation given. But I wasn't really reading the, the documentation in terms of why I was installing the patches and stuff like that. So, so in other I, words, you I were doing do exactly it. what we tell people not to do. You were copying and pasting from the internet to your system. Uh, yes, but I was, I was doing it from the official Linux, uh, Linux from scratch page. So, um, yeah, that, that's the danger with command line, isn't it? Is that people do sort of like just copy and paste straight from the internet. And, I do that all the time. I, and I tell people don't ever do it. You know, it's do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Oh <laughs> um, I do that at work. You know, it's like something's not working on the exchange server and I have to get into PowerShell. I'm like searching the internet for somebody who's typed out that string before and copy and paste. But I, I would not recommend that to anyone. Um but yeah. I think the difference is once you reach a sort of quasi expert level, you're confident in your ability to dig yourself out of a big hole. Uh so you know, that's why we say for new users don't do that, because if you do blow something up, you're stuck. If we blow something yeah. up, we at least have a chance of being able to fix it. Right. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. Now, remember the Google outage last week, the one that sort of happened, was it on a Friday night in the middle of the... Well, it might have been middle of the day for you, but it was middle of the night for us. Um, and I could just imagine if that happened during a working day for any period of time. I'd be absolutely stuffed as a programmer because every five minutes I'm on Google looking for... Because my memory's short, I, I have the attention span of you know, um, I don't know goldfish. Uh, <laughs> so the chance, the chance of me remembering the simplest, the simplest thing when programming is is, is probably slim. So I'm, I'm constantly on Google. How do I do that again? Right. The, the way I say that is, I've surrendered my higher brain functions to Google. At this point, the the organ in my body handles respiration and blood flow. Google handles everything else. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They may they may be sort of like abandoning their message about evil, but I'm still <laughs> stuck with them. Well, that's the point, right? Get people to depend on you yeah. and then turn evil. I mean, that's what I would yes. do. Dun, dun. That's well, no, my not point. turn evil, just uh, uncover your evil intentions that were there from the start. Oh, that's how that works. Oh, there's my mistake. <laughs> I just haven't figured out how to make people dependent on podcasts yet, but someday I'll figure that out. Some sort of subliminal brainwave pattern that makes you dependent on hearing my podcast and then then my evil intentions will be obvious i listen to about seven or eight podcasts a week of um different kinds you know it gets me through the working day to be honest with you it helps me concentrate right. i can't listen to music at my desk um it music's too repetitive but if i've got somebody talking whilst i'm working in my ear, then it makes it easier. Well, that's uh, that's another mm. thing I always like to ask uh, people when they come on a podcast is what podcast do you listen to? Um, I and I think it's interesting. You say you 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 need voices and you can't handle music. I'm the other way around. If it's yeah. somebody talking, I want to listen to what they're saying, and I can't concentrate on what I'm doing. For music, I need something that's just um, you know something I've memorized in the '90s. And and I don't have to think about it anymore. Uh, but so what? What are your? You said you listen to seven podcasts. What are your favorite podcasts and and why? Uh, well, my absolute favorite is uh, Linux Outlaws. 
Have you heard that one? I have. Yep. Um, Fabian is uh, just ace, you know, the, the way he sort of rants. Um, I, 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 that's that's the one I listen to uh, probably most regularly. And the, the Ubuntu UK podcast is good because it's 30 minutes long. Um, it's not, you know, it's a good period on a Monday morning. I, I listen to your one and I listen to uh, the Linux Link Tech Show. And uh, I, I find that good for afternoon listening because that's the longest part of the day for listening to stuff in the mornings because I have meetings generally in the mornings. Um, I have to have shorter podcasts, but in the, the afternoons, it's good to get a longer one going and it helps you, help, helps you concentrate on what you're doing. Um, I also listen to the Mintcast and, uh, um, there's another one, uh, so going Linux, is it? You're pretty much all Linux all the time then. Well, yeah, but the tech show isn't really much about Linux anymore, is it? They <laughs> just talk, they seem to talk about absolutely anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just the truth. Don't you hate it when a Linux podcast doesn't talk about Linux? That just galls me. <laughs> I, I, I like that actually. I like the fact that you know it's like having four mates down the pub. You know. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad we fit that bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, interesting. You, you said your favorite is uh, the uh, Linux Outlaws. I, I tried to listen to that one, and I I couldn't get past the ling- use of language. Uh, it's just they use language I choose not to hear, and uh, unfortunately, the the content wasn't good enough to get me past it. The uh, I guess uh, there's the yin and the yang there because you've got the Ubuntu UK podcast where the presenters are ultra professional and ultra well spoken, and then you've got um, the Linux outlaws that use the sort of language that you'd generally get in Britain. To be honest with you, <laughs> um, so it, it's British humour. Um, right. Even though Fabian's obviously German, um, it's humour that would come down, come across in Britain as as being good. Um, and it's uh, you know, there's no moral. We're, 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 there. We're, 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 sorry, we're not so subtle. We're we're, we're more sort of hammer it, <laughs> right? Hammer at home. <laughs> no moral judgment there. If you like it, awesome. It's just it wasn't for me. Uh, I we we try to keep this show. Um, I don't I don't ever w- want to put anything out that my my seven-year-old daughter couldn't listen to uh and you know and we just in my household we don't talk like that so i don't listen to to that podcast but anyway that's that's neither here nor there um that's your preference not everyone's right (laughs) i would have no problem dropping some bombs but i hold back (laughs) all except the one time there was the one yeah the one yes um yeah so uh those are your top podcasts. What do you? Uh, what about favorite blogs other than your own? Well, how do you keep abreast of Linux news? Um, Linux Today, LXER, is it? Uh, I don't know how you pronounce it. Is it Lexo or LXER? Um, that's about it, really. Uh, Reddit is the other thing. Um, see what people are posting on there. Uh, I don't get the whole downvoting thing on Reddit. You know, people seem to downvote things just just because they can, and. Uh, I think they should start charging for uses of downvotes. See how, how much people really do do disagree with things. Because sometimes you get you get a thing on Reddit and it's it's a perfectly good question and it's in completely the right topic. Yet it's been downvoted ten times. And I just don't understand sometimes why why they get downvoted. 
It's the mentality. And it's not just my stuff. It's, it's not my stuff. It's everyone's stuff. And, you know, some really useful questions, some really useful things that I end up bookmarking and it's, it's been downvoted 20 times. And <laughs> it's the internet. Oh, it's that way with anything, though. Yeah, it's the internet. It's stupid, but yeah. that's the way it works. Somebody's got to be mad about everything we do. You should at least be made to put a comment in to say why you're downvoting. That's well, not about it. Yeah. All right. That would uh, be a good uh, idea. <laughs> Gary, I promised you that we would keep it brief for, for those of you who uh, uh, didn't catch it. He's, he's in Scotland. Uh, we are not. Uh, there is uh, a five hour time difference between me, a six hour between Seth and um eight hours with chris so we're we're in four different time zones across the world right now and and gary is staying up late on a work night uh to do this so we promised we wouldn't keep him long so we're at about the half hour mark so i'm gonna wrap that up so i'm gonna ask you the question that i always ask when i'm interviewing somebody um if nobody hears anything else you said uh, but the last uh this last little bit here what is the one message that you would want to make sure that they take away uh, from you on this podcast. I think everyone should go onto YouTube right now and look for Corey Feldman's <laughs> Ascension Millennium video and make that the next number one in the Billboard charts because it is so bad. It's good. It's terrible. It's the worst song you'll ever hear in your life. It should get to number one. Um, so that's my message. I love that you used your moment in the sun for something terrible. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, can you shoot me a, a link on that with the email, Gary? I, I'm going to yeah, have sure. to take a look at that. Yeah, well, it'll hurt your eyes. <laughs> just paste it right in the show notes there. You're you're in the notes there. Um, just paste it in oh, yeah, at the top good. there, and and I will share it with the with the whole audience, and we can all okay. know. Um, <laughs> we can all know terribleness when we see it. <laughs> Um, okay. okay, I think that's, I'm, we're going to say goodnight at this point. So, uh, thanks for being with us, Gary. You, you were, you were funny and you were, uh, uh, polite and you didn't drop any F-bombs and, and not only that, but you had good things to say. Those are rare things in a podcast guest, believe it or not. So, uh, sometimes they're rare in us hosts too, but <laughs> Oh, the personal daggers oh. take them back guys. I said, I said us. <laughs> us. I, uh-huh well thanks for having me um yeah thanks uh, for being on yeah so i was gonna say is uh anytime you want to come back you are you are welcome to do so because we uh we love we loved having you on yeah it was great okay, brilliant thank you very much cheers good night all right having said all of that hey anybody got any tips this week uh chris i don't see a command line in there i see something else yeah it's the link to razor qt's website um, it's kind of one that, unless you uh, unless you're a, you Google it or whatever, you probably won't find it. But it's razor-qt.org. They link you to how to install their stuff and everything, uh, and have some really good helping hands if you uh, stumble a little bit in how they do things. Um, I ran into a couple of issues in their little FAQ and, and helped out a lot. So uh, go over there, learn how to install Razor QT, give it a shot. Let us know what you think. All right. And Seth, what do you got for us this week? 
Well, I'm glad I did not have a funny link picked out because I've got uh, Corey's video that Gary suggested queued up and ready to play as soon as the show's over. But, uh, you know, you look at a website such as YouTube or eBay or whatever, and you're like, I wonder what the first thing on that was. So highriskpay.com slash this was first. And you go there and there's, you know, not a whole lot, but 20 or so websites. Uh, like, I wonder what the first tweet was. Um, and it is just setting up my Twitter by Jack Dorsey, uh, March 21st, 2006. So you just go there. Click on it and it'll tell you what the first thing was, you know, um, the first thing available for Amazon, the first thing uh, for bid on eBay, uh, things like laser that. pointer, by the way. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, there you go. Um, so anyway, some it's it's totally useless history and off the wall trivia. No one will ever ask you about knowing, but that's why I like it. So the first tweet wasn't that. So they're obviously not counting all the test tweets that uh, Evan Biz would have done. Is it Biz Ev Evan? Anyway. Um, I can't remember the two guys' names. Anyway, so I guess they mean their first commercial tweet. And if you don't know, I already knew this. The first uh, thing posted to YouTube was a picture of a guy at the zoo. It was entitled Me, one. Me at the Zoo. And it was just a test site that one of the, the founders' uh, test video that he had put up. Yeah, the first Yahoo and question, why are yawns contagious? Um that was the first thing asked on Yahoo Answers. And he probably got a whole bunch of answers like, dork, first. Yeah, I hate it when there's 47 <laughs> people who say first. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. All right, guys, that's all good stuff. And uh, I guess that settles it. That covers everything there is to cover. Thank you again, Gary, for being on the show. And uh, if you would like to be on the show or know somebody else that should be on the show, you can contact us over at... Uh, 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 what's the name of our website? Uh, what is it? <laughs> Everyday every Lit. Just Everyday. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ah! <laughs> See, you didn't even know. Uh, we're so confused here. Uh, you can go over to elementop.com, use the contact us button at the top of the page, and uh, let us know what you think. Send us an email, as the guys at the beginning of the show did. Uh, if you want to leave us a voicemail, nobody's done that for a while, uh, you could call 559-IMOP anywhere in the continental United States and Canada, uh, or you can uh, uh, send me an audio file you can do that and i'll put it on the show or you if you don't want to do any of that you can go out to our website click the uh, the leave us a voicemail button at the top of the page uh, and uh, google voice will call you and you can leave a message also don't forget the forums particularly the bad movie forum that uh, that needs more stuff in there guys so all sorts of ways to get in contact and we love it when you do um Literally every time I get an email, I read it and I either respond directly to the person or I put it on the show or I do both. Nothing gets ignored. So if you sent me an email and I didn't respond to it, it probably means it's caught in my spam filter and I didn't know you got it. You sent it uh, because I take listener feedback seriously. So without further ado, I will say goodnight, Chris, Seth. Thanks as always for being with us, uh, for being the consummate professionals that you are. And uh, that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.